This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on the Light the Fuse podcast, he and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, May 21st, 2023. And Drew, uh, before we get started here, you were very kind to dig up a really exciting show that's debuting this week, The 100 Years of Warner Brothers. Yes, I've seen now the first two. I think it's four parts. It is. And I have seen, yeah, I've seen the first two. Yeah, it's really, really good. And this comes from the hugely talented Leslie Iwerks, who was the granddaughter of Disney legend of Iwerks. And for a lot of folks, or at least in the animation sphere, it was her first full-length documentary, The Hand Behind the Mouse, the Ub Iwerks story, that really sort of caught her attention. That was back in 99. And then there's been a, a bunch of really great behind-the-scenes documentaries from her about the animation and the visual effects and the like. We got the Pixar story in 2007, the Industrial Light and Magic Creating the Impossible in 2010. Narrated by Tom Cruise, if you'll remember. That's right. That's right. Okay. We also had Citizen Hearst and then, of course, her epic series about old Disney Imagineering, which debuted on Disney Plus back in November of 2019. And she has this award-winning series of films on environmental issues. Those are equally well put together. But when you look at her resume, was smart of Warners to go to Leslie to put together that this four-part documentary about that studio's history. And as Drew just mentioned, parts one and two debut on Max this Thursday, May 26th, and parts two and three then debut Monday, June 1st. So go check that out. That said, though, it is very unlikely, Drew, that this moment will wind up in the 100 years of uh, Warner Brothers. Did you hear about what happened to Mr. Zavslav out in Boston today? Yes, I did. He's actually all over this documentary, which is hilarious because he's sort of styling himself as this grand creative vision, and he is not. Uh, Are are you kidding me? He's been in the building five minutes. I know. I know. know. It's very funny. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, but, but what Jim is referring to is that during a commencement speech at Boston University, he was uh, booed heavily to the point that he it actually interrupted his speech, which was yeah. a terrible speech to begin with. I don't know how many you know platitudes one man can fit into a twenty minute speech, but boy, he did it, Jim. He did it. This isn't because Mr. Zaslav ordered Scoob Holiday Haunt scrapped or likewise that shut down production of the Scooby and the Mystery Pups animated series. This less than warm greeting at BU was because of the writer's strike. 
In fact, the thing that's really impressive, Drew, is this was a tickets-only event. I mean, yeah, there were people picketing outside the venue, but the people who were cheering him and shouting obscenities, these were students. These were students (laughs) holding up the WGA strong signs. I don't know who it was who was flying over Nickerson Field, towing the banner that said, David Zaslav, pay your, your, your writers. Maybe bioreconstruct? I mean, uh, Get it's not out of the question. Oh, yeah, Not out of the question. Oh, by the way, bio is still dealing with some health issues down in Orlando. And feel better, buddy. We're all pulling for you. More animation news in a moment. But first, I want to remind you that the news portion of this week's fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network for a worry-free travel experience every time. Please book online with storybookdestinations.com. Okay, we're just talking about Boston, a place that can be uh, cold and snowy. Of course, the, the home office when it comes to all things cold and snowy is Canada. So did you see who's expanding their operation in Canada? Sony Pictures' Imageworks? I did. I saw that. Is it an- Imageworks or animation? The press release I'm working off here says Sony Pictures Imageworks. So these okay. are the folks okay. who completed work on Guardians Volume 3, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and uh, also did some work on the Oscar-nominated animated feature Sea Beast. By the way, they just completed work on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And are we allowed to mention something that you have seen? I, we can say I've seen it, Jim, but I think that's it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. As effusive as it may be, okay, it has to be uh, under embargo. I don't know when. I'm just on okay. a gag order, Jim. I'm just in this closet <laughs> talking to you and not being able to talk about Spider-Verse. It's very frustrating. I'm almost afraid to say this line. You know, they, I, I'm sure at some point Drew will come out of the closet, and then you know he can talk about Then I will be able it. to fully discuss, yes. There we go. Yep. All right. But also worth noting that the, the folks at Sony Pictures Animation, uh, or excuse me, Sony Pictures Image Works, are hard at work right now on the Marvel. So all those folks are up in Montreal, and by the way, they are actively recruiting people. So you're of a mind to join a team that does great visual effects work, and you have a good win. Code, send them a resume. Go over there, get a get a coffee, get a baguette, whatever you want. Go work, work at that that place. It would be great. Oh, he's such a talent, folks. He really is. Now, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. Sony Pictures Image Work or Sony Pictures Animation, they didn't work on Nimona. That was D-N-E-G animation? D-N-E-G, yes. Formerly double negative. Yes, correct. Okay. And look, Drew and I have been longtime supporters of Nimona, the, this animated feature that was based on Andy Stevenson's award-winning graphic novel, which shut out life as a Blue Sky Studios production, but then got canceled when Disney acquired Fox, but then got revived by Anna Perna Pictures, right? Yes, so, correct. I don't know how he missed this, but there's a teaser trailer just dropped for this three days ago. Yes. And and what did you think? I thought it was great. I mean, I, I have seen the movie, so it's mm-hmm. got a lot of custom animation in it, which is nice. That whole mm-hmm. opening thing where she's kind of describing the kingdom and everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. And then, yeah, you get to see her in her crazy... Mm-hmm. shape-shifting form, which is just so much fun. It's very, very genie, very Moana. So mm-hmm. I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it. 
Okay, but like you said, a lot of custom. There are some clips from the film in the middle, and then it's sort of bookended by a, a piece of animation that's just done for this, right? Yeah, yeah. All of that stuff is just for the trailer. Kind of in the Pixar tradition. Okay, Nimona has its world premiere at Annecy on June 14th, and then becomes available for viewing on Netflix starting on June 30th. So you want to taste, go check out the teaser trailer, which again, dropped just three days ago. By the way, the day before Nimona has its world premiere at Annecy, this would be Tuesday, June 13th, the Venture Brothers, the complete series, becomes available for purchase. I have trouble with the whole complete series, given that don't we still have the Venture Brothers movie, The Radiant is the Blood of the Baboon Heart, coming? Correct. Uh, Correct. Okay. And that's going to be on Adult Swim. Yeah, soon, I think. Soon-ish, oh. at least. Yeah, uh, I mean, they we saw that clip a few weeks ago. We did. So, we did. Yeah. M- middle of last month. and But all they would say at that point was 2023. So... Do we know anything? Or? We don't know. We don't know anything, we don't. Jim. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of things we do know, we finally have a debut date for season 11 of Futurama. The revival of this animated series gets underway on Hulu on Monday, July 24th. 10 episodes being released on a weekly basis. And I want to also stress here that Drew always points this out, and I always fall for this trap. When they originally revived the series, there were 20 episodes ordered. So that means they split it in half, and there will be a season 12, right? Yes, Sometime correct. Sometime in yeah. 2024? Yeah, that's that's what I've heard. Okay, so uh, again, for once, I'm, I'm not stupid. I don't fall for the trap. That said, later this summer, uh, when we, we get to the tail end of August, I will be blue, because that is when season 14, which is supposed to be the final season of Archer, debuts on FFX with two back-to-back episodes and then becomes available for viewing on Hulu the very next day. I want to point out here that Archer debuted on FX back in 2009, then moved over to FXX. Is it FFX or FXX? FXX, yeah. Damn it, got it wrong. FXX in 2017. It actually managed to win Best Animated Series, the Emmy, in 2016. So kind of rarefied company. Though, did you see that wonderful opener for Family Guy a few weeks back? No. Oh, God. It starts off. Lois is telling Peter, I had a dream. And proceeds to tell this really involved story about the dream. And Peter backs out of the room. And you next see Peter, he's still backing up. And he, he passes Quagmire and, and Clifford. And, it, and it's one of these things where Quagmire's, oh, God, he's caught in a wife dream story. And <laughs> Cliff, you know, it's like, I had a friend die that way. You know, and so... <laughs> And so finally, he you, know, you see him back up, back, back, and he just backs to a door. And when he turns around, he's in the restaurant from Bob's Burgers. And it's like, oh, geez, I, I backed up so far, I wound up in the show before us. But there, sitting at the counter, is Homer from The Simpsons eating a burger. And Peter sits down, he grabs a menu, and he says, why are there two sets of prices? And Bob behind the counter says, well, you know, there, there's one set of prices for Emmy winners and there's another set of prices for shows that never won Emmys. And, and Peter kind of sighs, puts it on the menu and just a black coffee, please. So, I mean, 
was just really great, you know, great piece of writing, wonderful bit. And, you know, and again, to have the three shows come together like that. But, and, and again, of course, Bob's Burger, the, the, the very same gentleman, uh, Lauren, uh, who voices the title character in Archer, also, you know, does Bob. So, okay, we spent a lot of time talking about television animation this show want to pivot to talking about animation for theatrical release so did you see this pixar elemental experience thing jim it's a mall tour jim it's a mall tour it's the same thing that has been happening since 1992 but these mall tour things are worth checking out all right let's hear your story i went to the hercules mall tour this tells you how late in the game they changed some of the animation in Hercules. They were doing the zero to hero number. And during that scene in the finished film where they had the star shot through the sky and basically blew up Marilyn Rose skirt just like the in, in damn it, I'm blanking. Uh, seven year itch. Seven year itch. Yeah. Okay. That's what went out in the finished film just three months later what i saw was ariel and sebastian in starfield form and the star shot through that scene so three months before the film was going to go out ariel and sebastian had a cameo in the zero to hero number and evidently the problem was that during the test screenings People, it took them out of the movie. They began to talk, oh, that's Ariel. Oh, that's Sebastian. And so they didn't click into the scene as it continued uh, at the end of the song. And it was one of those, oh, damn, we have to change that. You know, I mean, it's a great little moment. It's a great little gag, but it's taken people out of the movie. So they clipped that. And what's weird is I've never seen that turn up. I mean, it's a two-second long scene, if that. Never seen that turn up in an extra feature. So where did you see it? They brought you into the mall's theater or they had a little screen set up or what? As you described, it was a mall tour right there. You know, I think Skechers was on one side and the Orange Julius was on the other. I mean, in fact, given this was 97, it was a big mother, you know, cathode ray tube behind. I want to say it was the desk that the animator would come out on hourly intervals. And this is how you draw Phil. You know, I mean, it just. As Drew pointed out, this is a mall tour. In fact, it kicked off at New York City's Brookfield Place. In fact, Peter Son himself was there to cut the ribbon. I saw that. Yeah, but it's it's a relatively short tour. Yeah, it is coming out to Glendale, so I hope I get a oh. chance to see it. Yeah, I mean... Oh, cool, cool, cool. Mall tours, people don't know, people who were born after, you know, the year 1990 have no idea that... This is where the aging stars of some sitcom or some Western, raw, you know, whoever was left from Rawhide would come through the mall and say hello. And, oh, you know, am I wrong? Rory no, you're not wrong. But it just, but again, you, you did every so often you got to see something cool. Yes. Speed Witch, though, the Pixar Elemental Experience Mall Tour goes next to the Chicago Yorktown Center from May 26th through the 28th, then Dallas Stonebriar Center, that's June 2nd through the 4th, then uh, out in Los Angeles at the Americana at Brand, uh, that's the 10th through the 12th, and finally, San Francisco Hillsdale Shopping Center, June 16th through the, the 18th. So I guess Brookfield Place is as close as it's getting to me, so I'm not seeing this. Well, if I go, I'll take pictures, Jim, and let you know if I run into 
Buddy Hackett is not alive, but that's the kind of person who would be at one of these. Uh, okay. I just I, – I wonder how they're telling people as part of the show the whole conceit that earth, wind, fire, and air all live together in Element City. That's an interesting abstract to sell. I haven't seen any ads for this movie. I have not seen any billboards for this movie. Really? Yeah. Not even out in L.A.? Yeah. So a lot of little, lot of little mermaid right now, Jim. So, uh, well, yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Okay. You know, the entire company is is marching in one direction toward May twenty sixth, and that launching over the Memorial Day weekend. So maybe the next week, the elemental yes. billboards will go overnight, up. Jim. You will see the billboards so, change. Yeah. That said, though, the bear with little brain, Winnie the Pooh, would have some real trouble in Element City because there is no honey. On the other hand, the Walt Disney Company would just love it if Pixar's Elemental became a Pooh-sized franchise. I'll tell you what, folks, when Drew and I get back from this break, we're going to talk about the many iterations of Winnie the Pooh that the Walt Disney Company has foisted on us since 1966. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Given these days the work you're doing at The Wrap and the wonderful stuff you're doing with the Light Diffuse podcast, a lot of people don't know about your days at Disney, that you were in-house for a number of years, right? Yeah, just a couple of years, 2015 through like the end of 2016. Uh, Yeah, I was running a website called the Disney Insider Mm -hmm. on Disney.com, one of the suite of blogs that included Mm -hmm. Oh My Disney and Disney Style and a couple of other Mm -hmm. things. None of which are still there anymore, so... <laughs> well, kind of like the Galactic Star Cruiser. Yes. It, it's it's a Disney thing where they think... It's like video games. Where it's like, we're yeah. all in. We're all in. And then... No. Until we're not. <laughs> no, until we're not. Yeah, exactly. And then in a few years, they'll be all in again. And that'll be somebody okay. else's problem. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so when you were in the building, can you talk about Winnie the Pooh, at least for a time in the company was like on, on a par with Mickey Mouse. He was like a number one earner when it came to merchandising and yes. that sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was at Disney Interactive, you know, as, as with the, the blogs and the mm. social uh, handles. Mm. And yeah, Winnie the Pooh was one of the top priorities. I would say he was up there with, with Mickey Mouse in terms of popularity and importance mm. and all of that. So, yes, this was 100% the case. What was kind of interesting is during that period, Mickey, they, they were getting to re- ready to launch the uh, the Paul Felix shorts, right? Which you know had that wonderful, crazy energy and that sort of thing. Whereas Pooh, they had tried a number of things. Do you remember, for example, what was it? When they decided, let's do Pooh as CG. Uh, what was that again? My friend Tigger and Pooh. Oh yeah, this was after I was there after the Paul Ruddish. Paul Ruddish, my yes. mistake. Yes. My yes. friend okay. Tigger and Pooh. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. This was when they were trying. I mean, they still have not brought back Oswald, but there was this 
Oswald proof of concept that they were trying mm-hmm. to get off the ground. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of – that was when they were working on the Three Caballeros show that, mm-hmm. like, didn't get aired for another three years. Yuck, yeah. Yeah, my friend Tigger and Pooh was actually before I was there, but mm-hmm. it was in the same. It was in the in line with the same kind of like, how do we resurrect these characters in a fun way? And boy, they've they've tried that many times over the years with Pooh, haven't they? <laughs> well, well, yeah. That that. And in fact, we're about to sort of walk through the history. I mean, Walt kind of walks into his daughter's bedrooms and just in the same way that, you know, the girls are reading and laughing uh, at Mary Poppins, here's A.A. Mills, Winnie the Pooh. And Walt looks at them. They're charming. Well, all right, let's see if the rights are available for these. And it turns out, well, no, somebody else had the rights to Winnie the Pooh. In fact, if you want to see something genuinely bizarre, folks, head on over to YouTube. There is one of the very, very early full-color things that was done for television. It's a show called Shirley Temple's Storybook. It's the child star from the 30s, now grown up, and she serves as the narrator of the show, and sometimes she appears in these. But there's an episode. It aired, I want to say, in the second season of the show. That's entirely about Winnie the Pooh. It, it's done with puppets. It aired back in October of 1960. And at that point, the, the rights for Pooh were locked up and Shirley had them and used them for her, her television show, which I, I want to say was on NBC. This was before Walt moved his television show from ABC over to NBC. But anyway, sometime immediately after this, the rights become available for Winnie the Pooh. And so Walt brings it into the building and does the standard, okay, guys, let's make a run at this. I mean, this is in the same window that the company has optioned the right to T.H. White's The Once and Future King, and it sort of you know zeroed in on the, all right, The Sword and the Stone. I think we can turn that into a movie. And so it's, you know, take that book and see what we can do with it. Whereas with Pooh, it was this set of, short stories that A.A. Milne had written that were illustrated by Ernest Shepard. And eventually, Walt and his development team, it's just like, it's cute, it's whimsical, but I I don't think this material is strong enough to support a full-length animated feature. And so the decision was made that we'll use this for feature rights. I mean, we bought the rights, we'll do something with it. So 1966, the, the first one of these comes out, Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree. And the actor that Walt originally wanted as the voice of Winnie the Pooh was a then-famous comedian, George Goebel. And they sent the script to George. They sent him the artwork. And he, I don't get it. I, I don't get this. I don't want to do this job. And Walt almost reluctantly had to turn to Sterling Holloway the story I've been told is he was initially resistant when they said, well, we can't get George Goebel and Sterling could do an interesting job with this. And it's like, we use, and it was just, no, find somebody else. We use Sterling way too much. In the end, it's like, oh, all right, I guess we have no choice. Let's use Sterling Holloway. But anyway, that one does well enough that in 68, they release a second uh, Winnie the Pooh feature, Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. And that one actually wins the Academy Award for Best Animated Short that year. And and the interesting thing is from this point, they had the television series on NBC, The Wonderful World of Disney, which eventually became, well, excuse me, The Wonderful World of Color, which eventually became The Wonderful World of Disney. And as part of their deal with Disney, 
NBC got the rights to run the Winnie the Pooh featurettes as half-hour specials, animated specials on their network, which did very well in the ratings. And come 1974, Disney decides to do another one of these, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2. And then, because there was clearly an appetite for these things, they put animators back to work and created some bridging material and then effectively cobbled together the three featurettes into one theatrical released film, which was The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which went out into theaters in 77. And they've got merch, uh, you know, a lot of merch selling. They've got an exclusive deal with Sears at this time. And so they're like, okay, is there anything else we can do with this? So in 1981, they do an educational short. Did you ever get to see this in school, Drew? The the Winnie the Pooh discovers the seasons? No, that sounds delightful. It's actually pretty crummy. Oh, okay. You know, it, you know they, they farmed out the animation of Winnie the Pooh beginning in the 80s. In fact, there was a fourth animated feature, uh, feature it, uh, Winnie the Pooh and a Day for Eeyore. There was a, uh, it was a Rick Reinhardt productions that actually did the animation for that one. But that was largely because the Disney company was, was busy with the launch of the Disney Channel, which had its own, well, the very first Winnie the Pooh TV series. Did you ever see this? Welcome to Pooh Corner with the full body suits and, and the weird remote controlled talking heads. Oh, yeah, Jim. I'm still in therapy uh, because of this show. <laughs> for sure. It is an absolute David Lynchian nightmare from beginning to end. Yeah. I would, would argue the other one that was done in this this technique. Uh, what was it? Dumbo Circus. Oh, that's is, true. Is, Dumbo Circus is pretty... Pretty creepy, too. Yeah, I would say, if, if anything sent kids into therapy, it was, it was Dumbo Circus. Yes, that's true. I really liked Owl in this version. I don't know why. <laughs> oh. I just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, of course, in 1984, the Walt Disney Company has its turmoils, and then, you know, Ron Miller is out as CEO, Michael Eisner is in, and Michael's of a mind, you know, to the effect of let's find different ways to use the studio's most popular characters, which is why... Come 1988, we get the new Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And and this was done as a Saturday morning show. In fact, was this NBC or CBS? I forget. I might have been CBS. Uh, but anyway, it launches in January of 88. It runs for four seasons. It's a total of 50 episodes. And then we start to get the direct for video stuff that like uh 90 august of 97 we get Pooh's grand adventure the search for christopher robin and then in 2000 we we get another film that started off life as a direct to video release but then they decided well let's put it out in theaters and that'll that'll plus a little bit and then we'll put it again make it available for home premiere but there was the ticket movie in 2000 then the very next year, we got our our next TV series. We got The Book of Pooh. Did you ever see anything on this one? This was the one that was done in that Japanese puppeteering technique, the Bunroku. No. Each of the puppets would be operated by puppeteers who were using rods standing against a green screen. So you had your, your full-size dimensional Pooh Puppet, a green screen background, and then what they did for the the actual backgrounds of the show. They were done as sort of paper cutout, you know, almost as if they had come up out of a storybook. I mean, it had a really unique look. 
it didn't necessarily run all that long, but it, it did okay. Then in uh, 2003, we got Piglet's big movie. Then this is from February of 2005, and this is the Pooh's Heffalump movie. And the story I've always heard is that Michael Eisner is sitting there, you know, they'd come into his office and they'd lay down on his desk, you know, how much Winnie the Pooh had made this month. And at this point, they've divided the Pooh product line. Uh, there's a Disney's Pooh, the one that looks like the one from the animated shows and, and the like. But then there's Pooh Classic which uses the Ernest Shepard illustrations. And in fact, those for some reason sold very well with parents of very, very small children. And for some reason, lots of people bought those as baby shower gifts and that sort of thing. But here's Michael Eisner looking at the books over the Pooh accounts and, and just realizes there hasn't been a lot of growth since they split the line. And this is when Eisner comes up with the idea. It's like, we need to introduce a new character to the Hundred Acre Woods. The way to goose the numbers here is we need Pooh to have a new friend. And so that's when they came up with the idea of Lumpy, the young Heffalump who befriends Piglet. So we get the Pooh's Heffalump movie coming out in February 2005. And, and to further support this character, there was a, a, a direct-to-video release called Pooh's Halloween Heffalump movie, which came out in the fall of the same year. And then when, when that really didn't do it, that's when we got my friends Tigger and Pooh in May of 2007, where the thinking was, well, maybe Pooh's new friend should be a little girl. Because, you know, for all these years, we've had Christopher Robin. And not only a little girl, but a, a named Darby, six-year-old girl. But she should also have a cute little puppy called Buster. And and not only that, let, let's mix it up. You know, this whole, let's go get honey, let's go play post sticks. It's like, no, from this point forward, we're in Scooby-Doo country, Drew. Pooh and Tigger help Darby solve mysteries, and they do so while wearing homemade superhero costumes when they become super sleuths. Pass. And Pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's pretty much what, what North America said yes, as well. Yes. Did you actually make it to any of the junkets for the Winnie the Pooh uh, feature film, the the, the one that, that, that came out in July of 2011? Oh, yeah. I remember talking to Eric and Mark and, uh, you know, there were so many amazing animators on that thing. Oh, no, no, no. It, it, it was a murderer's row. Yeah. And that was really kind of the heartbreak of when that came out. Didn't that come out on the exact same day as the very last Harry Potter film, uh, part two of... Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Yeah, that was a Dick Cook move. Yeah. And it also had, it also released like eight months after it had come out in England, too. Do you remember that? That also kind of puzzled me at the moment. Yeah. I mean, why, if you did that, if this is already an established title that's already been released theatrically, why make that decision? Why send it into the Harry Potter buzzsaw? Unless there was an agenda to be serviced. The whole notion of, yeah, we said we'd make a, a stab at reviving. Well, remember how we went from traditional animation to once Disney bought Pixar the use of the phrase traditional animation went away and it became hand-drawn animation. Yeah, that was an interesting time. And since then, 
We've only had the one other attempt to revive Winnie the Pooh, and that was the Christopher Robin live action film. Well, there was a there was a failed attempt, Jim, in 2014 oh, by God, our friends right, at Cartoon right. Saloon, which just came to light over the past like year or 18 months, I want to say, the world according to Winnie the Pooh. You are you are right. Yes. And I, in fact, I've only just recently seen the artwork for his wonderful stylization. Yeah, I mean, it was one of beautiful. these things where it's like, yeah. and, and that's the thing, I don't get, that. that's a different look that would have been a lot of fun. And certainly it would have been departure from, from what they did in 2011 with the, you know, the Winnie the Pooh uh, feature film. Yeah. But, yeah. And, and it was right. And it would have debuted if it had gone to air right after mm-hmm. the Paul Reddish, you know, Mickey Mouse short. So I feel like it would have been a great kind of one, two punch of reinventing these characters. Man. But it's online if you want to see it. It's absolutely beautiful. The, the Somebody uploaded the pilot. Um, mm-hmm. And Cartoon oh, wow. Saloon, obviously, they did uh, Wolfwalkers and Secret of the Kells and they Song did. of the Sea. And my favorite Star Wars mm-hmm. Visions short from this batch. All right. Well, not to believe the obvious here, but folks, but things show up online and then they disappear. In fact, I did go out and chase down that Medusa test that you were talking about. Yes. And... Oh, oh my God. I, was that James Baxter? Yes, it was James Baxter. Yeah, and I think that actually might have been the version that predated Lauren's version of it. But still okay. such a cool idea of this like teenage It's Medusa. such a cool idea. Yeah. Such a cool idea. Yeah. Where is Christopher Robin, the Ewan McGregor live action? It's terrible. Just say it's terrible, Jim. It's terrible. I remember being in a theater watching this, and it's like when you spend more time looking at your watch than you do with the movie, you know, it's just sort of like, it was. It was bad. It was bad. And There's no stylization that reflects the amazing storytelling of the shorts. And do you remember, mm-hmm. this is something that's been erased, but mm-hmm. they had an entirely different cast for the characters, and then at the last minute... They had Jim Cummings come back and some of the other characters come. And it was like the Irish guy from Bridesmaids was at one point one of the characters. It was very interesting that they, you know, switched it around a little bit. And then they kind of like had a freak out and went back to Jim Cummings and said, like, please, can you do it? Everybody who knew Mark Forrester, the the gentleman who directed this, and knows he did Finding Neverland. And it's like, oh my God, here's Mark Forrester, and he's going to do what he did with Finding Neverland with Winnie the Pooh. I can't wait to see this. So what you're just mentioning, the notion about different actors voicing these characters, that would have been, that sounds amazing. So what happened? Yeah, it's just so unimaginative and so dreary. Although, if you wanted to learn about Christopher Robinson suffering from PTSD, (laughs) enjoy, question mark? I don't know. It's just, uh, it's bad. Uh, It's really bad. But here's the thing to remember with each of these folks, whether we're talking about Pooh's Heffalump movie or if we're talking about My Friend's Tigger Pooh or even the Christopher Robin movie, every single one of these Winnie the Pooh projects was supported by its own retail line. You know, each of these films went out with, you know, the full might of the Disney company. And it's like, if you wanted to buy what the CG-ish version of Winnie the Pooh looked like from Christopher Robin, you could buy that. Yes. I heard those actually did very well and that they didn't make enough of them. 
Because that was, that was, I will say, the one stroke of genius of that movie was the designs for the characters in live action were absolutely amazing. But I don't know if you've ever been to the New York Public Library where the actual toy, uh, Christopher Robin's actual Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore, and the like are on display. But evidently, that's what they did. They went and viewed these very old, very worn, very loved toys and used those as sort of the inspiration for the look of, you know, Pooh and Piglet and the group. But it's just, again, it's another one of those films you stand outside of and it's like, what happened? So anyway, folks, uh, we haven't talked about the stuff that Disney did for the parks with Winnie the Pooh. I mean, uh, you know, there's the whole weird Pooh for President thing from 68 and 72 or the various rides around the world. But tell you what, Mr. Taylor and I will get to that at another time. But if, if you need more animation-related information or entertainment, I want to direct your attention to, well, Drew just did a wonderful story about Elemental. Uh, in fact, you sat down with, with Peter Son and, and, and Denise Reem, the producer yes, of the movie, right? Yes, yes. Go read that. Yeah. Thank you for looking at it, at least, Jim. Yeah, again, always great stuff. In fact, I want to say just today, I was circling back on your your wonderful John Carter piece that you did for Cineblend. No, was for that, that was for the rap too. That was last year. That was yeah. the rap. Okay, but here's the one I have to ask because you have you have interviewed the Electric Mayhem mm-hmm. uh, that's over on YouTube. How did we do that? I mean, I it was part of the press day for mm-hmm. the Muppets Mayhem, and boy, Jim, it was rarely am I starstruck, Jim, but with them. I was starstruck, let me tell you. They were great. I can understand that. I can understand that. (laughs) First of all, Bill Beretta is like a genius. He's so good as Dr. Teeth, I think. Mm -hmm. Not easy shoes to fill, but... uh, No, 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 no. Not at all. Not at all. If you're somebody who's been paying attention to Drew's wonderful Light the Fuse podcast, which, by the way, he does with Charles Hood, uh, yes, you're not a guy who easily gets starstruck. I mean, some of the people you've talked to for that show. How many episodes are we in now? Oh, God. 235 was the... 235. Yeah, so oh, 236 God. is this week. Didn't you just do a show exclusively about the uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1 trailer? Yes, we did. Yeah, we're, we're all, almost all systems go for Dead Reckoning Part 1. But this mm-hmm. week we are talking to Brian Burke, who is a fascinating guy, a, a producer and former head of Bad Robot. So we talk about Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation. It's very interesting. Bad Robot actually wasn't on three, even though it was a JJ movie. They kind of came on afterwards. So Mm -hmm. great stories, an amazing guy, a really sweet, uh, considerate dude. And uh, so those are going to be our last kind of legacy episodes, Jim, before we get into Mm -hmm. Dead Reckoning Part 1, baby. It's coming. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Well, again, seriously, folks, if you haven't yet sampled Light the Fuse, you are missing out on so much good content. And uh, speaking of uh, good listening, we have some other podcasts here as well. We've got Disney Dish that I do with Lentesta. Uh, we have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. By the way, has a, a great new podcast of his own, uh, 32nd Street, uh, which is about the world of advertising. And in fact, just today, earlier today, Brian Gahn and I recorded a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm where we talked about all of the indie movies going over to Disney+. Plus. And I, again, I have to ask because it seems to change 
Did you hear just this week that I guess Instagram is getting its own sort of Twitter? Yeah, I'm uh, all about that. I think that's a great idea. Twitter sucks, so I'm ready. Yeah, well, I, again, I'm still over there on myself on, on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Where are are you and, and, and more to the point, where can folks find you? On yeah, on Instagram media, right? and Twitter at uh, Drew Taylor. And I want to say, Jim, I'm, I'm loving your Disney MGM attractions <sighs> thread. I hope you never stop. Oh. The lovely Eric and Lauren Hersey are, are the ones who are helping me with, with, with all that stuff on Instagram. And I promised Eric out front that, oh, don't worry, we'll get these things written. And you'll be fine. You know, and we just, for example, just literally today, this morning when I got up, I wrote the two entries that, that I think dropped Tuesday and Wednesday this week. And, you know, the, the Herseys are headed to Walt Disney World, I want to say, on Thursday for a family vacation. So pressure's on me to finish the eight for the month you know it's like uh i was always that kid it's eight o'clock on sunday night Ooh, time to start my homework yes <laughs> anyway if you could do mr taylor and i a favor if you could head over to apple podcasts and rate and review well, well not just the show you're listening to right now fine tuning but also light the fuse that would be very helpful you want to go over to Bandcap and subscribe that would be cool and I think that will do it for now. But again, remember very early on in tonight's show, uh, Mr. Taylor mentioned that he has seen Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. And, and I believe the term you used was effusive. Um, but we're, we're going to have to wait for his real uh, info on the film. So be sure and come back next week. And, and hopefully the embargo will have lifted by I then. I hope so. I'm dead. Mm. This is burning a hole in my pocket, Jim. I'm dying to talk about it. So, yes. Okay. Hopefully next Can't week wait. we will talk. Yes. Cool, cool. All right. That's going to do it for now. And on behalf of Mr. Taylor, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.